Welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. This is a non-judgmental place to explore spirituality, and we're so glad you're here. This is a viewer and listener supported podcast, so we greatly appreciate your support. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Be sure and like, share, and subscribe to any of the social media content platforms that you're using. And then if you go to our website, spiritualityadventures.com, you can make a one-time donation or with a monthly subscription, you'll gain access to our bonus content. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in. All right. Welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. Thanks for tuning in and on this episode. And I am excited to introduce you to Samir Salmanovich. And Samir and I met actually about one year ago, Samir, in, uh, in New York City. Rod Colburn, you and I had lunch together probably, it was in August of last year in, I can't remember the restaurant. Tartinery, uh, the Columbus Circle. Columbus Circle restaurant. Yeah. And we met and and I uh, got to know you a little bit then. But then since yeah. then, we've We've had some connections. We went to the Telluride Film Festival together, and I learned what a master chef you were. You cooked up some of the best food I've ever had. I don't eat like that in my life. <laughs> so that was amazing. Um, I've joined you in your Turn Community Project, which we'll talk more about that in, in the interview here. But Samir is from Croatia, and he has he's a life coach. He is... Um, he's a corporate coach for, um, CEOs, business leaders of all types. He's a creative, um, he has got one of the most fascinating stories I've run across. So I'm excited to have, have introduce you to people who listen to my podcast and hear some of your story and what's on your heart these days. So thank you so much for joining us at spirituality adventures. Thank you, Fred, for having me. It's a, it's a great um, honor to be here, and, and it's, it's very exciting what you're doing. So uh, just, just by way, just another quick intro point. You, you, did, a math, you did a bachelor's in, I'm, I'm blanking, uh, in engineering, I think. Structural engineering, yes. Structural engineering, a ma two masters, mm -hmm. one master of divinity, one master's in something. Developmental in, psychology. Developmental psychology. And then you did a PhD in human development. Yes. As well. Right. And also you've been uh, an atheist and a pastor and <laughs> a whole bunch of, you, you know, yeah. you're, you're a, a mystic. All, I mean, I just think of all the different ways we could describe Samir. Yeah. So it's delightful. Mm. So let's start with you. Uh, where did you, where were you born? Where did you grow up? Give us a little feel for your, your growing up years, your family life and your faith life in your growing up years or lack thereof, you know? Yeah. I grew up in Zagreb, which is capital of Croatia. My parents came from two different places. My dad came from Montenegro and he was a Muslim. And my mom from Slovenia, which is Roman Catholic. So they came to high school, decided to stay there got two kids, uh, you know, a car on all of that. And they were pretty much um, sort of a done with religion, both of them. They were in an atheist environment. And, um, and then suddenly I spring up um, after my high school, I go to serve the army there. Um, and I come back uh, converted, you know, born again kind of a situation. 
And of course, I mean, uh, like how did that happen? And how does that happen in the army? <laughs> how does an atheist get converted in the Croatian army? I'm just curious. The Yugoslavian army, 14 months, obligatory for everybody. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a place where you have a lot of time to reflect. People come of age there. You know, you're kind of 17. Um, and uh, and I, I met a guy who was a Christian, and, and I, he put me on his prayer list and then took me off his prayer list because I was impossible. And I just made fun of him. Uh, and you know, I had my own way of looking at life and then I start reading the Bible and I start talking about it. And suddenly something clicked, uh, like a, almost like a 2d world becomes 3d, like, uh, or, 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 or black and white becomes color feel to it. Mm-hmm. You see the spiritual dimension of life that not everything that's real is visible. Uh, and, uh, and then I sort of kind of you know, like submitted myself to, to that, to the fact that, that truth is more than rational. Mm. And, uh, and, and I just kind of, uh, this was an entry for me into that world. Uh, and yeah, then I came back. Uh, that was hard because it was sort of like underground there. It was very punishable thing to do. Yeah. Because ideological environment there, there was, you cannot have Bible or anything like that. Or, uh, so it was counterculture. Basically I felt like I joined a culture culture uh, mm. in my world. Mm. Right. So here it would be similar to somebody in a mega church becoming an atheist or gay <laughs> or, you know, or a Muslim or, you know, uh, in, in an environment where everybody, you know, all of your friends and family are part of the church or one of the mega churches. And suddenly you are 22 and you are becoming, you know, shamanic priest. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's pretty, yeah. it's kind of opposite than here. And yeah. it feels good to be a, a countercultural of, of that time. And then when I came back home, uh, and joined the church and became part of it. I, I joined it with great spirit and great commitment, you know, to it and decided that after structural engineering, I'm going to go to the United States and study and become a pastor. Right. And what kind of church did you get involved in? It was a seven day Adventist church. And was that the, the same faith that the person who was the Christian who shared with you, who prayed for you, was he, or he or she a seventh day Adventist? Yes. Yes. Okay. Right. There were others. There were a Baptist guy there. um, There was a Eastern Orthodox and we had uh, debates and discussions and all of that. But even in, in those, uh, even in those, you know, Protestants protesting and all of that kind of a situation, you, you, you are immersed into the whole new conversation, you know? So, so everybody contributed in some way. It's interesting. It, since I've met you and Rod Colburn, I've met more Seventh-day Adventists or or former Seventh-day Adventists or recovering set, however you want to talk about yeah. it, and, than I'd ever met. Like in my whole journey, I'd studied Seventh-day Adventists. I know what I know what it's about, how it founded, all that stuff. But I, I, I don't think I ever ran across, like I can't think of one personal friend that I had that was 
was Seventh-day Adventist or former Seventh-day Adventist or something like that. Oh, you will surely know when the end time comes, we'll be right and you will be wrong and we are taking over the world and we will be your masters. Right. Well, it's very simple. Yeah. (laughs) It's a good thing that I've gotten to know a few of them then, right? (laughs) You have a connection. At least I have a protection now. Yeah. At least I can say, hey, I'm friends with this guy. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Let me in. (laughs) All right. So, um, okay. So you come to America and did you go to like a Seventh-day Adventist university in America to study? Yeah. I first, we came to Chicago, worked for a couple of years. I was uh, working in construction. Although I had an engineering degree, I had to like do a scraping of the walls on the burned down houses to survive kind of a thing. But yeah, that was kind of a, a, a fiery experience of being an immigrant. Um, and that was a really, really formative experience for me. The whole thing of, of being a stranger and learning to belong and all that. Uh, yeah. And then went to uh, graduate school for theology and the war broke out there when, after I came, right after I came, the big war in Bosnia, Croatia, Serbia, Slovenia. And I was happy to be here. And so I, you know, and I loved school. So I keep, I kept going to school, um, you know, so I don't have to go back and be drafted for the war I didn't believe in. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. So, so came, came to study. And then we decided we were to go back. We were not going to stay here Uh, for six years. We didn't even think of staying here. Mm. And then uh, because my uh, wife was pregnant, we are second child. And first one was born here. We wanted a second one to be born and then go back. I took a year of internship here in New York City okay. before going. And where did you and your your wife is Vesna. And I, I, I got I had the privilege of hanging out with her and Telluride last May at the film festival. Uh, and where did you get where did you meet Vesna? Did- uh, yeah, Vesna, I met her. uh she was a member of the church in Croatia. Okay. And she was like uh, these princess there <laughs> and uh, very, you know, protected, very kind of a calm, structured environment. And I was the outsider. I was like a vagabond kind of a bandit situation. Right. And her parents got really spooked by the whole thing. But, you know, we found each other as a great uh, uh, compliments. And Mm. and so we decided, okay, well, let's do this. And uh, and then we just got married and when came to United States for we were we told uh, people in embassy, American embassy, that we are going for a honeymoon here. Okay, And that's how we got tourist visa. Oh, and then we switched to student visa here, uh, which was a very uh, tricky thing to do. So we had this a white lie with American embassy. Otherwise, we wouldn't get it in. We just say, hey, we have so much money. We don't know what to do. We're getting married. We want to spend it in the U.S. for a trip. Can you let us in? And Americans obviously fell for that (laughs) and said, yeah, come spend money. Great. We will play on that card. And then we came here and uh, and then stayed. Yeah. Yeah. And switch then from student visa to my work visa. And after one year here working in New York, we decided we had a big conversation one evening. We got a babysitter, went to a Starbucks and said, are we going back or are we staying? And we both voted for staying. 
Mm. And then half of your heart goes back and half stays here. But if you go back, half of your heart stays here anyway. So it's painful either way. So, yeah. So, so you had your, you have how many children? I know there are two girls. They are 20. Yeah. 25 and 27. And so you stayed, Vesna was pregnant with your second child. So you stayed longer in America. Is that right? Am I going to catch right, you? Right, right. Yeah. Just before we, we just got an agreement for a year uh-huh. to stay. And we didn't promise people here that we will stay after a year. But the person who brought us said, we want you to stay. But we said, we will not promise. We only have one year. Well, try it. And then we came and then we met, you know, Rod was there. He was the elder in that congregation. In Manhattan? Yeah, yeah in Manhattan. He was the first person I met there as a member. Okay. Uh, uh, he was there when we pulled in with the truck, you know, for those who don't, uh, Rod Colburn is a friend that I met about a year ago, uh, through Doug Paget, And, uh, so I've had Doug on, on the, the podcast and oh, he is a uh, yeah. great talker. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. Really enjoyed that. And then, uh, I've actually had Shelly Paget on too. And we talked about med- meditation and stuff and oh, beautiful uh, yoga yeah. meditation conversation. So, so that, and that's how I met Samir is through Rod Colburn and Rod lives in Manhattan and he, he, he grew up in Asia as a seventh day Adventist missionary kid in Asia, yes, right, if I right. caught that right. Yeah. So, uh, so you're, you you meet Rod at this church in Manhattan. They're trying to talk you into staying. Is that right? Yeah. Well, we were, you know, figuring out and each other and then, and then pretty soon, uh, you know, I was going to get a senior pastor for the congregation. I was going to be a so- associate or assistant. And but nobody either wanted to come, dared to come or conference kind of became conservative after I came and they didn't let anybody that congregation actually wanted. And so I ended up for six years there, you know, being associate pastor by myself. Mm. Wow. <laughs> That was, uh, you know, you know, I, I got, uh, you know, so much has happened in the six years. You can imagine nine 11 happened at that time, right in the middle. Wow. And, uh, and I, you know, so I became pastoring, very you're pastoring a seventh day Adventist church in Manhattan when nine 11 happened. Yes. Wow. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. And the, the, there was a Michael, box. He was, uh, our member and, you know, I really sort of groomed him to be a board a chairman of the board for a couple of years and he was elected, um, and, uh, a week before nine 11 and, and nine 11 was his first day at work. And he was on a first tower on 94th floor and airplane hit into his office, the first airplane. Wow. And, you know, we lost him. So the church was very wounded and we worked, you know, a year round, like for the next 12 months uh, on, on steroids to, uh, to deal with that. And which bonded us, you know, every crisis bonds people, mm-hmm. which was really, I'm, I'm curious I wanna, in some way. I want to ask, ask, just pause here for a minute. You know, when I, I was in Kansas city pastoring vineyard church when 9-11 happened. And the crazy thing was, was we, we had met in a middle school for 10 years and grown to about 400 people. 
And then we'd bought land, built a building and sent out a big mass mailer, you know, kind of for a grand opening service. And it hit people's mailboxes the week of 9-11. So 9-11 was on a Tuesday and our grand opening service was the following Sunday. Mm. So we, we went from 400 to 800 people in one week. It, we grew, wow. from, we grew from three to 400 in 10 years. And then in one week after 9-11, people mm. just showed up at church in droves and we were having our grand opening and all that in this new building. And I, I remember all the pastors in America that I was listening to, like evangelical pastors, you know, they were talking about how this was judgment on America for homosexuals or it was, um, you know, or they were fostering hatred toward the, you know, Muslims and, mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I was just listening to all these messages coming out and I, was, mm. and I had already developed a heart for the Arab Muslim world. And I had friends that, you know, that I'd partnered with in the Arab Muslim world. And so I started yeah. talking about loving Muslims almost immediately. Right. Uh, you know, which, Good luck for that. Yeah. yeah, right. And but I, you know, it's kind of like, well, hey, even if Muslims are enemies, which I wasn't willing to say that, but in people's minds, that was in the air, you know. And so then I was like, well, then what would Jesus do? What does he teach us to do for our enemies is love. You know, so yeah, I, yeah, what's yeah. love. Anyway, and then we, we started right. trying to connect with our local mosques here in Kansas city, do, you know, try to do some, just mm-hmm. some love and service kind of stuff. And that was really against the stream. I'm sure you went against the stream as well, too. I, I know you did because yeah. of your background and everything. Right. Right. I mean, we, we opened the church, we brought Muslim leaders, um, of all kinds, you know, from New York and, and put him on a stage for, for a conversation, you know, with them, uh, good people, people who are, who have been fighting these extremists for, for decades, people who have lost people, people who, who are far more threatened with, with the, ext- by the extremists than you and I as Christians are, mm-hmm. because if this extremist has one bullet and then there is a, and that there is another Muslim who is not extremist and you who is not a Muslim, they would spare the bullet on the brother. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, going against people who are fighting their extremism from within, mm-hmm. it's just the dumbest thing you can do, like opposite of what you can do. Mm-hmm. So we, we try to, um, and you know, I was, uh, um, you know, I was working for when the ground zero mosque thing came, mm-hmm. remember there was a big, big issue there. I was very close with, with Imam Faisal and Daisy Khan who were leading that mosque. And I was there for the first meeting in the community when they got permit mm-hmm. and the New York post came out with this monster mosque article. So I was there as a minister to support them. Mm-hmm. Uh, before there was anything on the news, we didn't think of it anything. And then I ended up working for them for four months as a Christian advisor for their, you know, public relations and marketing and whatever they were doing to help them deal with Christian environment uh, from their perspective. You know, uh, there was new, there, there were news 
media from the whole world here for a long, long time mm-hmm. uh, when we were dealing with that. Yeah. So. Well, I'm, I'm curious. So you're pastoring and I, I'm, I'm curious, were you ever a, 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 a very conservative Christian person or were you always kind of more progressive and, and operating outside, uh, outside the box? Were you, were you right? Because your book came out in uh, 2009 and the title, everybody, you, and this is still available on amazon.com. It's called, it's really all about God reflections of a Muslim atheist, Jewish Christian, which is the subtitle alone. Yeah. If you want to read it. The paperback, thrown- the paperback subtitle is how Islam atheism and Judaism made me a better Christian. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. So that's a new, you, you came out with a different subtitle on the paper. Yeah. Yeah. Because you need other faiths to uh, support you. I thought you just should have thrown Buddhist in there too, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, maybe I, you know, I would today, but I kind of kept it at at uh, Abrahamic religions and atheism, you know. Yeah, right, right. What what is good about them that Christians can learn? Yeah, and so were you were you ever like Mister Conservative Seventh Day yeah. at one time? Yeah, I was. I mean, once I converted. Um, when you convert the there's a lot of turmoil happens you know you're challenged from every side you're challenged conceptually you're challenged socially or challenged you're disturbing friendships family everything right and then you need to ground yourself and put down your stakes and and build a wall in order to survive with your new identity because the environment wants to push you back so you are you are trying to find anything you can hold on to uh, that you do not want to question some, something that stands. And, you know, and there were, I was looking for things I can, you know, I can, I can really stand for, like, for example, Jesus, <laughs> mm. you know, uh, but also, you know, there's eschatology, there's about being right. There's about bringing truth to the world. There's about, you know, missionary, uh, role, uh, the, explanation of everything you know yeah i had my phase you know when i was dumping the bible and as a you know 20 year old approaching 50 year old person and telling them look i can tell you about the meaning of life if you have five minutes and they look at me like what you have a milk bottle still like go away (laughs) (laughs) you know like that's so ridiculous that you know these converts are going to people who have lived life of truth and grace and they are grounded and fulfilled and strong and serving the world and they're approaching you know i would approach them with the bible and say hey like how about i tell you what it is all about Mm -hmm. like it's an eyesore i mean we don't even understand what that means to people because Mm -hmm. we are so zealous but you know a lot of good people look at you with sympathy you know and smile and say yeah good for you you know Mm -hmm. So yeah, that was that period. But then I started shedding things that one by one, you have to go to some sort of radical simplicity about what really smaller and smaller things start, number of things start to matter more and more, right? And, And then sooner you realize that actually the division between the truth, between the insiders to the truth and grace and outsiders goes through the every human being not between the groups of people. Uh, you know, so when Jesus was 
talking about the church, he meant every any human being, two or three, when they're together and conspire love in the world, they are the church. I will be there. I will be there. I like that. You know? So. Yeah. So, so you had kind of a, you had a progressive move. You, you, you incrementally moved toward more progressive type of faith. Would that be yeah. accurate? Yeah, I would say, um, I mean, if this labels can hold, I would say it more radical faith. Okay. Uh, I think, I think the way, the way it's called progressive now, it's actually more radical because it requires from you more. It requires more faith from you, uh, more, more depth, more work. It's more nuanced. It's just a, I feel it's it's a natural thing to grow like that. I think, you know, sometimes people like us who have left sort of the ministry uh, because of all the experiences that were so disruptive to our lives, we think like, all right, we look back and we kind of lick our wounds and say, hey, what is the consolation price here, right? Mm-hmm. Like we say, well, the, the you know, God is everywhere. I can do this. I can do this ministry. I can do that. But ultimately, religion was meant to be left behind. Uh, it's, it's when it works, you leave it because it, it, it actually organizes all of your prejudice. It organizes all of your oversimplifications about God. And you give it a chance and you give it a time and you realize it's not actually I need to move on doesn't mean you will not be a member of the church. You can be a member, but ultimately the church and the way the truth is handled there and curated to you, it's not holding your faith anymore. Your, your actually faith expands the, the context of your faith. Although you can be, you know, elder in a church that doesn't really matter, but Jesus didn't end his life and say, great. Now I have an organization. How many of us there are now like 500. Okay. Let's grow you know, our 501c3 and see who is in and who is out, right? He didn't do that. He actually left it behind. And I think for me and for us, uh, leaving it behind is because religion worked, because it taught us to go. Mm. Same way parenthood, when it works, it teaches you to go, Mm. right? You leave parents because parenting was great. If you stay in the basement with your parents and live off of, of that and talk about the same things and bring nothing new to the lineage, you know, and not push life forward. You are actually, uh, the parent parenting didn't work. Yeah. So I think that's an interesting, so tell me how, how would you define religion because of, you know, that's a big topic, you know, people, some people see religion super negatively and some people see it super positively the way you, you, the way you just used it, you said that, religion was good for a season mm-hmm. in your life, but then if you do it well, you leave it. Right. You leave right. it. Because so religion what, is a, it's a what, provision. What is it? What's good about it? And then why should we leave it? it give yeah, us. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, religion, I see it as a, as a necessary simplification of reality. Okay. Has all the answers, black necessary, and necessary, but it's necessary. Binary, we cannot, right? Now. We cannot. Everybody, even atheism, is a form of religion. 
right? Like, so if you are, you can be so atheist and exclusive that you do not allow for invisible reality, you know, uh, and invisible reality has always followed humans, you know, from electromagnetic waves to microbes, whatever. There is much more that we don't see than we see. And if you as atheist denying that, you are fundamentalist stuck in your religion, right? So it goes, it, it cuts across everything because reality is always bigger than our explanations of it. Mm. And religion is very concerned to explain. Yes. In some way, religion is something we create in order to avoid God. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, but not on purpose. We just right, created right. in order to be able to live with some sort of understanding and some handle on it. Right. Yeah. But ultimately you have to, when you come to the edges of it, you realize, Oh my gosh, God is on the outside of whatever my edge is. God is on the outside. Mm. Right. And that's a problem for, for the container. Right. Yes. Uh, and, uh, and so searching for God in the other, I think, is the only viable way forward. If you are part of the religion, you constantly need to think, how is the non-member teaching me about my treasure? Mm -hmm. How can I learn about grace from a Muslim? How can I learn about grace from an atheist? Right. Because if I'm an expert in grace, I am a learner. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. If. I'm expert in grace as a Christian because I'm learner, huh. right? So God is constantly sending the outsiders to me to help me be better at it, mm, right? I like that. So others do not just have a common grace. They actually have grace. Yes, right. <laughs> right. They actually understand grace. They don't have only irrelevant truths. They had yeah. actually relevant truths on which I depend. Mm. Yeah, you're I don't welcome a stranger, I don't welcome God. Yeah, I mean that's in the Torah. Yeah. You know, like it's everywhere. It's yeah. in a, it's a new New Testament right there. I mean, Jesus yeah. was a stranger on a on a mouse road and he was a stranger, and when he is a stranger and he gives Eucharist as a stranger mm -hmm. to them. Remember that moment? Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of, lot of stories there that, uh, if you look into that, how Christianity would never survive and, and never be where it is, if there was no sisterhood of religions, actually welcoming it and helping it. Mm. Yeah. Look at the wise men who never became Christians and right. brought the first money, the first checks to the, <laughs> to the, to the baby movement and said, here you go, you are valid. Here's our frankincense, myrrh, and gold. This is all money, basically investors. Generosity. Take it and grow, and they left. They didn't get baptized, you right. know, born again, none of that. So, and these were astrologers. So I'm telling right. Christians, whenever you see astrologers, you approach and say, thank you for your ancestors making my religion possible. Right. We owe you our existence. I love that. I did a blog last year called, you know, the Magi non-Christian followers of Jesus is how I titled it. Right. But uh, yeah. And I, I gave them the, I, it is interesting, both the Hebrew Bible and the new Testament many times make the anti-hero, the hero, like 
the, right, per, right. Out, the outsider, like the, the, the good Samaritan is a classic example, but there are these stories in the, in the Hebrew Bible too, where the outsider who kind of would typically be frowned upon is mm-hmm. made the hero and the example. And I think the wise men display like what we might call true worship. I don't know what you'd want to call it. True worship, but they followed the signs of God in the skies. They, yeah. they discerned God's presence in nature. They leaned into it. They, yeah. they recognized some special sense of incarnation through Jesus and responded with generosity and, and reverence, you know, yeah. it's, it's we, we, should, we, we, sh- we should do with other religions as exactly. well. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Because there's the, it's like, you could see these, like the I- Islam or Judaism or Buddhism as holding treasures for the human planet that we can all learn from. We all, yeah, we all, I like that. We all curators of special treasures for all humanity. Yeah. And you, and you, from your own tradition, you can learn and grow and discern and incorporate. Yeah. You know, and you know, I always had that sort of instinct in my heart, but, um, I, I was very conserved, very evangelistic, you know, always wanted to lead people to Jesus. And, uh, and yet at the right. same time, I still tried to be super gracious towards mm-hmm. uh, outsiders. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 when tell people telling me, who are you? I mean, I, I, at one, you know, one week I hate evangelicals, you know, like, <laughs> gosh, it's, it's, a, it's a death cult. Right. You know? uh, but uh-huh. then next week I say I'm evangelical uh, and and the way I explain it, I had a sermon on Sunday in an atheist church here in New Jersey, and it was entitled, Why Am I an Evangelical? <laughs> and you they're like, okay, this tell us. Oh, no, it was years ago. But at okay, that time, yeah, okay. but at that time, I was already, you know, uh, on a, you know, I crossed the line from, from like a fundamentalist kind of a camp. Right. Yeah. And, and I said, why it's evangelical. And I explained, you know, I went one by one, you know, the meaning of good news and I believe in the good news. Mm -hmm. It's just that I think that current evangelicals have a really bad news, (laughs) right? They call it good news, but it's neither new nor good. Yeah. First of all, everybody knows it and it doesn't sound good. You think it's good, but it really sounds bad, right? There is a better news. And better news is God is on the outside also. Mm. That God is everywhere. Yeah. There's a, so much better news than a classical, classical thing that is, uh, you know, which we're not going to go into at that. Yeah. Now. Well, t- <laughs> tell me, like, I'm curious, because let's, I, like, who are your big influences in terms of where your, where, where your journey is at now, your faith journey? Because you're, you're still very much a person of faith. Um, yeah. and, and you've, you've trying to make room for this, this bigger God who is present everywhere, who we encounter through the other. And, and there's a beautiful mystery to this journey that we're on and how we encounter God in, in, in everything, right. Everybody. Um, and, and so who, like, give us a little sense of who your big influences is, where you're at now. 
And right. Because I want to move into, I want to talk about, I'm a part of your, a new, your new community that you're building called the turn community. And uh, I know you've got a new book that you're, that, that you're talking about. So yeah, give us kind of, who are your big influences where you're at now and where you feel like you're going and uh, yeah, give us a sense of I that. I mean, I, back then for a lot of us, the big, uh, big, big, big revelation sort of, I would say like a second conversion, I would say uh, was a book uh, by divine conspiracy by Dallas Willard. Hmm. You know, that blew open theologically uh, the door from something very familiar. And we are committed to Jesus. We are committed to the good news. Hmm. And he just uh, blew the doors like that never, I never sort of recovered in a good way from that. Uh, And his point was that kingdom of God is here. Enter it. Hmm. Right. It's around you. It's touching your skin. It has nothing to do with, uh, nothing has nothing to do. It's way larger than, uh, than, uh, than a kind of organizational way or all of that. It's just basically, he's saying that, that Jesus was brilliant the way he saw the world and that kingdom of God is here and it's God based world. Mm. Right. And that's that, uh, that had so many implications over the years, but right now I, by the I way, gravitate to by the way, uh, Dallas Willard um, attended till the day he died a vineyard church for the last maybe 20 years of his life. Uh, pastored by a, a, a colleague of mine in California. And uh, so I'm, I, I actually knew Dallas and yeah. I was I've been in rooms with Dallas, you know, with just a handful of people. And I love the, the divine conspiracy uh, that, yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting. I wasn't expecting you to, to say him. So, yeah. 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 I mean, I had like in New York and in, in California, I was, I was pastoring. I had like those kind of like 20 part series, you know, on Dallas Willard's the <laughs> conspiracy. Uh, I knew every word in the book, but, uh, you know, later, I don't know where he ended up and, and where it went. Maybe he went more protective of the, of the church organization and of the gospel of, being more exclusive, but it doesn't matter. You know, the, the, the beautiful cat was out of the bag. Right. The tiger was out of the bag. And uh, yeah. And I don't, I don't think he would have viewed it being a, a part of a community as a restrictive thing. I think he was, he was very, uh, uh, I don't even know the right word I'm looking for, but very ecumenical yeah. in his right. approach. Right. Yeah. So so that was, so that then started to, you know, open it up a lot. There was a classics like Tony Campolo and people like that who were just so playful. Um, and, and it's like Leonard Cohen says, you know, I tried to be religious, but the cheerfulness always broke through. <laughs> Isn't that good? You know, that's good. Uh, so, um, so yeah, if you follow ecstasy of your first love, of your conversion, of the way we saw the world when we first believed. Uh, and the, I think you got to follow that all the way through, mm. right? From the beginning mm. is that this first beginning that gave us this kind of like a undeveloped, nascent, uh, uh, young way of looking at this had a, had a really truth to it. 
and then you quickly get bogged down. Uh, but living recklessly to, with that grace all the way through, you might end up either on a cross or asylum or, you know, or, or some ordinary life or big pastor or, 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 or writer or whatever. It really doesn't matter. Those are irrelevant points. Jesus didn't invite us to succeed. Jesus didn't invite us to learn to love well, right? And you learn to love well. And he said, sometimes you won't be able to have a stone for under your head. And, you know, you know, folks that have holes you might not have. And by the way, they might kill you. Do you want to follow me? You know, and, and he said, what do you promise? I will. I promise you will be a good lover. I'm going, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> I'm going and I, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters, Right. Uh, church growth doesn't matter how many I convince, um, whether I'm successful or not to the point, you know, that two early Christians didn't matter, whatever happened to them. So, yeah, yeah. It's exciting to know that we have a permission to follow that, that ecstasy all the way through. Mm. I like that. I like that. So let's talk about the, some of your current projects, what the turn community, which, um, I, I was a part of the, uh, one of your, your co- cohort deals. And then, yeah, tell us, tell us about what, you know, some of your current projects, if you want to talk about turn or mm-hmm, book, yeah. your coaching stuff, yeah. what, what's the essence of Samir right now in terms of what you want to bring to the world through yeah. what you're doing right now? Yeah. With the turn, um, it's a it's a membership based community. None of us can let me put it this way. The paradox is that our personal growth and impact in the world uh, is up to us, but none of us can do it alone. Right? We need to have a witness on this journey, and whatever is not processed at the view of other human beings who accept you and do not judge you, but validate you, your identity doesn't move anywhere. Like it's kind of, you're kind of stuck. So the hocus pocus moment is where you actually dare to try on your new self and you incarnate your conviction and who you are becoming in the world. And you are seen by other people and validated. Then you have shifted. Mm. Everything else is self-development pushing, but it's not happening until there is a, that moment that happens. So you need to do it with other people. So what we want to do is have a, something uh, that provides essential care for change agents, mm-hmm. you know, mm. uh, and to do that, uh, we, we, we have to have a connection and a community, you know, for a number of reasons, but what we, what we do, we, we bring people in and ask them to do that thing to get that thing going. And the, that thing is the one you're avoiding, the one you know you need to do, the one that you want to do, but you're not doing, right? Uh, we all have those kind of a, a pivotal moments or projects that that we will enter that have a certain sense of discomfort about them. Uh, then what we do is uh, help people understand themselves. We try to really simplify in, a, in the English language, not the religious language, not spiritual language, right? Uh, spirituality, it's a spirituality adventure for sure. But that's where spirituality language stops, naming it. Everything else needs to be able 
whatever we are doing needs to be able to be understood by somebody overhearing our conversation in a coffee shop. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we do have a common language that is rich and it's not necessary to introduce confusing points in. Right. So co- confusing labels in it. So you connect with great people and we are really committed to have fun and not take ourselves too seriously. So if it's not fun, it's not true. <laughs> because humor is the way we actually respond to con- incongruencies of our lives. And if you don't have humor, you are not aware of your incongruencies. Mm. Uh, so, yeah. so what it, what it does, we do like uh, intensives with a little bit of our projects that are challenging for people. Uh, and, and then, uh, you know, right now, if you go to turn community dot, or .org, uh, you can, uh, you know, there's a waited list open and launching in September. Yeah. Either one? You got both? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So it's kind of like. Turncommunity.com or turncommunity.org. Right. And uh, and what I am doing is on my first and last name.com. Um, and there's a link to the Turn Community there too. So, yeah. And what we are what we are up to is we're trying to have like a, you know how I, I'm, I, I do a lot of cooking, right? So I, I have written about it and I have done a lot of videos and I at one point had a cooking school. Uh, and uh, the, the trick with cooking is that people offer you these books that have like a hundred skills you need to have, or, you know, 200 recipes for, for life, you know, and the book that really kind of succeeded was the book, uh, it's called the, uh, salt, heat, acid, you know, those four elements that are basically simple elements that organize all of your knowledge that you can connect with each other if you get something like that. So we are, keep seeking something that will offer radical simplification to the overwhelm we all feel with change, uncertainty, advice, knowledge. It's a tsunami of that's coming at us, mm. all of us. And we are all overwhelmed. We do not need more knowledge. Knowledge is dead. It's like information used to be. Now with AI, what we need is a witness of each other and experience of transformation. So we are, as a society, change rich and transformation poor. Mm. Right? So how do you get not distracted by change and actually, actually have some form of radical simplification? Because radical simplification is necessary when we deal with complexity, right? So... When you go for a date, it's it's a very complex event, right? Very complex, physically, mentally, emotionally, socially, you know, like a first date. It's very complex, right? Especially if stakes are high, you know, uh, <laughs> it will decide your future, how you feel about yourself. It will affect all of your relationships. Everything is affected, right? You're figuring things out. Mm-hmm. So imagine if somebody gives you a hundred things to remember, to keep in mind, to have a good first date. Mm. That's not helpful. That's not helpful. Although there are a thousand things to remember. If you would really break it down, it's so complex. 
But complex does not have to be complicated, meaning we all can simplify our spirituality, our view of the world, so we can function, have an impact, and it's good enough, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, rather than constantly expanding. Um, so our so we have five of these kind of themes, and I always ask people to come with the sixth one that is their own. <laughs> uh, but uh, so that's what I think about and write about, and I'm right now working on a on a book or might be a series uh, that that is dealing with that and uh and it's just a plain english that is drawn from ancient traditions you know neuroscience poetry and it's very intuitive and very very simplistic Mm. because the more simple it is the more useful it is Mm. you know sometimes simple things can capture a lot of complexity like for example if you go for a date i have one advice just listen and be present there. Just notice what's happening and react to what is happening. Mm. That's all. That's the advice. Don't worry about how you dress. Don't worry about any of these things, any of these stuff you learn about women or men or, you know, forget about all of this. Be there. Like mm. practice being there. Uh, you know, there may be two or three more, but this one is, is, is ground advice and whatever happens, you come back and you will learn from it and you will be better for it. And relationship will go into the direction it has to go to. Hmm. Right. That's it. So there are many rules like that, that, uh, you know, man, we need to come back. Like I'm 62 and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm single. Right. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So we could come back yeah. and you, we could do a whole deal on dating advice for Fred. Oh my gosh. That would be amazing. I love that. I have two daughters. I have, I have spent a lot of life energy trying to figure that out. Yeah. Here I am trying to figure it out now at my age. Yeah. You know, I didn't date much until I met my, my uh, former wife and mm-hmm. started dating at 19, got married at 21, you know, and then it unraveled a few years ago after hey, 30, so much is awaiting for you, man. So, yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so it's like my whole life unraveled some here, you know, this, and then, uh-huh. uh, yeah, and now I'm like, Oh, okay. Well now what do I do with my life? You know, I'm, I'm still alive. I'm still breathing. Yeah. So I move forward. How, and how does, you know, how, how do people like Samir and communities like your building help people who go through you know, sometimes it might be a per- a crisis. Sometimes it might just be, you know, a dissatisfaction with your life and you want to transition into a deeper uh, connection with know, yourself. With I don't others. know if you remember, but one thing we talked about at turn is this idea of sunken costs. Uh, uh, like we feel that a lot of things in our lives that we would like to take back that were like a wrong turns or blind streets or or bogs, you know, where places that we would rather not be there that have absorbed so much of our energy and we have invested in. Mm-hmm. And now they're sunken costs. They're like, well, that's the cost of doing business kind of a thing. You know, mm-hmm. you grieve over the loss, right? But the thing is who you are right now, your perspective on life is because of these events. These events are directly informing and giving depth and beauty to your perspective on life right now that we need, right? We all need your perspective. We all need you to 
double down on your crazy and move into the world. We, I, the, one of the books I, I entitled, we need your crazy. We need you crazy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I'm all in on that one, man. <laughs> right. Right. So, so doubling down on that and learning to articulate it and be more gracious to yourself and to others is the only way is the only way for these costs to be actually feed you, you know, and give you the mm. great strength instead of being something that you lose, that you have lost and grieve over, mm. you know, we do need to grieve over things obviously, mm. but, right. but this informs your unique perspective. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> excuse me. Um, what, uh, so people can jump on the, the turn community.org or.com and like they can, they could actually look at that and jump in. Right. Right now it's a wait list there. Okay. Uh, like an interest list. If okay. they go to my email, uh, my first and last name.com, they can subscribe to my newsletter. So that's how we can stay in touch. Okay. That's, that's where it will start. That's how we can start being in touch. But, um, yeah. And then you also do executive uh, coaching, life coaching, corporate. Yeah. I do a lot of like a corporate things. That's kind of like a main, I do that three days a week. Um, uh, and if there are people from, you know, all industries. I have a lot of people from like telecommunications and army, <laughs> you know, but uh, all kinds of, and you just realize how people are so much the same, you know, how we are all similar in, in what it means to be human. Um, and, and it's also coaching that is, goes beyond it's post-professional meaning uh, I try to help people deal with the unknown and deal with the mystery in their lives. Because if you learn to be a good human being, you will be good at your work, right? professional training is we have has exploded to the point that we actually need to people need to be more resilient human beings and more loving human beings toward itself other people and then they will excel in no matter what they do right uh, and I think I think that's a people come for one thing but then they get another. Hmm. You know, people usually, how can I become vice president? And, you know, this is what I want. Mm -hmm. I'm like, really? That's what you want? <laughs> yes, that's what I want. Okay, well, let's talk about it. And then, and then later they realize, hmm, I actually might have a better goal than that. Mm -hmm. Right? There's better things in life. Uh, uh, and uh, and I, just one thing I want to plug in and about common good, because we have, you know, been part of the vote common good dot dot org. Yeah. When uh, I, when I interviewed Doug Paget, we, we, uh, got to that, at, you know, we touched on that at the end of his, his, uh, interview it was good. Right. Right. So you're part of the original board that helped create vote common good. Yes, actually Doug and I, uh, were co-founders, you know, okay. we decided let's, you know, we had a little bit of too much, you know, roasted lamp here and and the red wine and came up with the idea that we will not do another conference or event and invite people but we'll go around the country in a bus okay and so that was really really something um and uh yeah what i was saying how how the the, the secret of the personal growth that it is not personal it is actually common good it's 
the moment you can decenter yourself from your ultimate concern is prerequisite for you to grow, right? So constantly trying to improve yourself and be better and focus on that, it's, it works to a point, it works in a way if you hold yourself loosely and you care for common good uh, mainly, right? Which is a, another word for kingdom of God that Jesus uh, talked about. It's just mm. another name for it. Uh, uh, and uh, yeah, so, so people feel a great relief to not have to constantly be their best self, have best experience. You know, people are so obsessing about shortness of life and they have to have best experiences, be their best self, uh, you know, all of that kind of thing, self-development that is supposed to be, give you the way, but it becomes on the way. And so you got to simplify that. Mm -hmm. And like start, like don't read any self-help self-development book for a year and see what happens, <laughs> you know, paying attention to who you are already and what life is around you, mm. uh, rather than adding more and more advice. Uh, although obviously advice is good for all of us, but it's good because there's also empty space, uh, mm. you know, white space where things can occur and you need that, you know, from Genesis one, one, you know, the, uh, every beginning has empty space. So yeah, you're anyway. right. A little chaos in the mix, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. A little tohu va bohu is how they yes, say it. Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah, you know that well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the empty in the void. Yes. Va bohu is the first sentence of the Genesis. Yeah. And actually, I mean, I heard from rabbis and the Buddhists, you know, that it says in the beginnings, not in the beginning, it, it's actually in the beginnings, uh, meaning well, in every beginning, meaning in my beginning, in my beginning of a relationship, if I want to date, in my beginning of vocation, my beginning of writing something, of living today, getting up today, mm -hmm. there is an emptiness that I need to create in order for things have space to appear and mm. be rather than crowding that space. Uh, and, yeah. and I, I think it's just such a amazing, the problem with the Bible is that you need more than one lifetime to understand anything. And it's problem with religion. You know, religions are so deep and so beautiful, each of them that you need 500 years to understand each one, but you only right. have one life. I know. <laughs> right. So you're stuck, you're stuck with partial understanding of everything that you could know a yeah. part of all the great things of one story. Yeah. Right. I, yeah. I could, I could either, uh, wish for reincarnations, you know, come back as a Muslim and really do a deep dive in the Quran and that whole history or come back as a Buddhist, do a deep dive there or, you know, and then, uh, or, uh, we could, we could do it the other way and have a matrix download where, you know, they just stick that thing in the back of your head. Right. Right. Yeah. And, was, well. and now I know Kung Fu, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or what helps me is, you know, give up on wanting to know more. Oh yeah. Uh, and let people 
have their own story. That what helps me. Like, let them have a story I don't understand. Mm. I don't need to. Like, I, they don't need to be known. Uh, like uh, individuals in a relationship don't need to be known. The moment you say to your lover, I know you is the moment you don't mm. the moment you are kidding yourself because yeah. you don't even know you. I don't even know myself and I have really access, but I don't, I have a stranger in me. So when you say, you know, I want to know your faith, they're like, no, you can't know my faith. I don't know my faith. Mm. Right. So, so let others be, experts in that it's like food you know you don't want to have all restaurant mixed in one you do want a thai restaurant you do want a japanese you do want a bosnian and you want them to shine and you're a guest that is welcome to partake and then you go back and you run your own so they can visit yeah the richness of the the tapestry of life yeah. and being able to be present with, with it in all its different manifestations. Yeah. I, I love your emphasis on un uncertainty and unknowing as well, because I think even like back when, you know, like Moses saying, well, God, who should I say sent me, you know? And then, mm -hmm. you know, God doesn't like it just, well, tell them. And then there's this, there's this, there's this verb for being mm -hmm. tell them I am saying, yeah. Oh, well, Oh, 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 well that makes perfect sense. I am. Oh yeah. Of yeah. course. Hey everybody. I am sent me. Yeah. Being yeah. Uh, the presence and being and mystery of the universe mm -hmm. that we can't know and can't be certain quite about yeah. it's, it's a mystery, but that that's who I'm, you know, it's, I love that. It's interesting, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And we have a right uh, because we're in God image, as you talk about original blessing, I think, I know you are thinking and talking a lot about that. Yeah. Uh, is that original blessing is being in the, uh, created in the image of God mm -hmm. before sin. Right. So, so this original blessing is before the blessing of the, it's a first grace is it yeah. first grace is to exist. We do not need sin to explain God. That's right. Right. If God needs sin to be explained, that's really small God, right? Mm -hmm. So, so the so there was a first grace, but if you mess up, there is a second and third and whatever grace you need, yeah. that's fine. Uh, but then this first grace is uh, uh, that that you do you do not know, you know you. When, when God says I am, and if you are in the image of God, you can say I am mm. back to God. Mm -hmm. Well, God, I am. Right. And God says, no, you are not. I am. No, God says, great. Great. You are mystery too. Mm -hmm. You are mystery too. Even to me, mm. you have a free choice actually. Mm. Right. Yeah. So I love that. I'm God. I don't need to know everything. I'm so powerful that I can decide not to know everything. And so loving that he doesn't have to control everything or she. Exactly. Everything. Yeah. I don't even want to know what you're going to do next. <laughs> you know, so because I want to, I want you to be yourself in the universe. And that's what Dallas Willard was saying. 
Dallas Willard famous. They have so many famous lines. When one is God wants to let you loose in the universe mm. to do what you want to do. Mm. God wants you to come to a place where you can do what you can do, what you want to do. Not what God wants to do, but what you want to do. And he has illustration of a daughter coming to you in the morning and you're saying to the daughter, what would you like for breakfast? Right. And then she says, whatever you want, dad. I said, no, I got up to do what you like to do. Right. No, but you are my dad and I love you. Why don't we do? I want you what would you want, my dad? I said, no, 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 you don't understand. My desire for you and for me is for us to do what you want to do. And she doesn't understand. That's what a lot of Christians, where they are. Mm -hmm. They don't understand that they have a freedom to be and do and want, and they're safe mm. in that space. I like that. Anyway. That's a good thought uh, to wrap up on. I It made me think of that Psalm that talked about delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. But to me, that's, that's such an interesting thing because delight yourself in this, the mystery of the universe. Yes. And then the desires of your heart flow out of that love affair with the mystery of the universe, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. There is a discipline to that. And, um, um, Isaiah, I think, uh, I think 58 where, where he talks about Sabbath and he says, if you don't do what you want and, and make Sabbath a delight, mm -hmm. meaning, Hmm, do I do not do what I want, but I have my delight. Mm -hmm. Right. Meaning that sometimes and often we want what we want will bring us to a place we don't want to be. Right. So I don't want to go to a gym, right? I don't want to. I just want to sit in front of TV and eat another sandwich, okay? But I don't do that. I go to gym. I go for a walk. I call my mom, and suddenly I'm in a delight, right? But I have to follow that real delight, even if it asks me to do things I don't want to do, but follow that delight, right? Uh, uh and it's not about just doing what you want to do. It's doing whatever it's necessary to follow the heat or like a missile, like of a delight <laughs> that, that you are that you're going for, whether it's doing or not doing, whether it is, you know, relaxing or, or working hard. It doesn't really matter. That's not an issue. The issue is ecstasy. I fell into a burning ring of fire. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Burning ring of fire. I love that. We should just tune in Johnny Cash right now. <laughs> All right. Well, man, thank you, Samir, for uh, taking time to to share some of your life story with uh, the audience at Spirituality Adventures. And I, I I encourage everybody to jump jump in into the turn thing. Check it out. I'm mm -hmm. I'm a part of that community and love to have uh, some people join in with us as well. And, uh, yeah, I hope to be in New York sometime before the end of this year as well. So hey, I can, that would be great. I make sure that you're, you're in town so when much, I come. So much to do. <laughs> yeah. So and if you ever go to Croatia, let me know. I'll tell you where to go. It's kind yeah. of a cool place to go now. I've never been. Yeah. I haven't been to that part of 
of yeah. the world actually. So I go every year, every summer. Yeah. I I've seen a few of your pictures. Oh, I see. And, uh, I think, I don't know who, where, how I saw some of them. Like maybe it was on some of your posts or something, but some beautiful, yeah. beautiful scenery there. Yeah. yeah. All right, folks. Well, thanks for tuning in to spirituality adventures and thank you Samir for, uh, joining, joining us, uh, people check out, mm -hmm. uh, you can go to Amazon, check out, uh, Samir's book. He's got a new book in the project, his turn community. And then you, you can find out about the, the executive coaching life coaching that he does as well too. So yeah. delight to talk with you. Thank you. Yeah, so same here. It's so wonderful. We have these rectangles to connect, but it's like a wormhole, <laughs> you know. I know. I I used to be frustrated about it, but now I'm like, oh my gosh, thank God, you know, uh, that yeah. we have this technology. Yeah. I'm not snooty yeah. about it anymore. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Okay, great. All so right. come and we'll see you in person soon. Ah, look forward to it. Thanks everybody for tuning in and uh, we'll see you next time.